Greetings, my lovely rich girls, and welcome back to another episode of the Money with Katie podcast, but you already knew that, right? So today, we have a very special guest. We're bringing back Ben Miller from episode 11. He's a friend of mine in Fort Collins who we really jived. If you listened to episode 11, you also probably noticed there was some dicey audio quality. That is unfortunately because we recorded with one mic upstairs in my attic. So like not the best acoustics for a podcast, but this time we switched it up a little bit. We recorded downstairs on the couch with the mic between us, a little bit more equidistant. So if you're feeling a little traumatized by the audio quality of, you know, last time, just know that this one is a little bit better. I am working on getting some better audio equipment in general, so bear with me, but I still think, as as I believed last time, the conversation is well worth the listen. So today we're talking all things entrepreneurship. Really because, you know, as you'll hear us discuss in the, in the beginning, Entrepreneurship feels like something that really appeals to a large subset of the Money with Katie uh, community or audience as the self-starting go-getters that you are. And it just kind of feels like, hey, we talk about what to do with the money once you have it. Why don't we spend some time talking about how to make more money doing something that you actually love? and the pros and cons of that as opposed to a nine to five job and the unexpected consequences and outcomes and things that I've learned from monetizing a blog. So with that being said, we're gonna jump right into the interview. So here it is a solid conversation with Ben Miller, the founder, CEO of Chronify. All right, Ben, where should we start? What do you think? Oh man, so in in the past we've talked about uh, a good bit of just like personal finance stuff, I think. We never really hit the uh, like the the business side of things, you know. Like you're an entrepreneur, I'm an entrepreneur. We got a lot in common on that front. So why don't we go there? I love it, and I agree because I think something that I was thinking about recently is that I love talking about personal finance topics, like the more nitty gritty investing, saving, budgeting, whatever. But it's almost impossible to talk about money without talking about work. Because how else are you going to get that money <laughs> right. if you're and, and you know you think about people's incomes and and that tends to be the starting point for people. It's like what should I be doing? All right, well, how much are you making? Like mm-hmm. we kind of have to know that input in order to make any other decisions. And it feels I don't know half-hearted or kind of shoddy not to address things like this that could potentially impact somebody to the point where it would help them earn more or earn money in a more fulfilling way. Right. I mean, it, it's it's kind of a, I think it's partly a function of like a low hanging fruit situation because, mm-hmm. you know, if you take the stoic approach and separate the world into like what you can control versus what you can't control, the expenses are the thing that you can control the most. You yeah. know, like some people, you know, there's a baseline that's you can't really control under in a lot of cases, but that's for most people, that's well within their control that they can afford, you know, they can take the guac off of their burrito or, you know, whatever. They can do these little tips and tricks to like cut a few dollars here and there. Income is stickier. And so it's not something that you're going to change every day. You know, maybe you're a freelancer and you can actually do that, but it's something that is marginally within your control. And in Mm -hmm. a long-term sense, it's largely under control, but day to day, it's not something that you can make actionable changes tomorrow. And so insofar as it's just more accessible to make Mm -hmm. spending changes, I think that's why, that's the reason why there's so much digital spilt ink over (laughs) expenses and not as much relatively speaking to income. Agreed. And I all, 
digital ink spilled. I love that. <laughs> it's funny, though, because when you say, like, in the short-term day-to-day, we have more control over our expenses, totally agree, but it almost reflects that larger, like, human inclination to focus more on those short-term things that, what's it, the urgent but not important? Yes, yeah. Quadrant of the, of the, um, the chart where... Technically, the way that you can probably most meaningfully impact your long-term financial future is by making those longer-term investments that result in you earning more money over time. But mm-hmm. it's so easy to get caught up in the stuff that's that we have that more immediate sense of control over. So I think that's a really good point. Um, all right. So with that, we're talking entrepreneurship. You mentioned, obviously, you're an entrepreneur. And I would consider myself one to some degree as well. And I think uh, one thing that I really wanted to ask you about as I was reflecting on my own journey is what came first, like chicken or egg? Was it the idea for Chronify that then sparked your interest in starting your own company? Or was it the opposite where you were like, oh, I feel like I want to start my own company. And so now I'm kind of on the lookout for an idea. It's, uh, you know, chicken and egg things always kind of wind up being this way, but it's it's kind of circular in the sense that multiple things had to line up at the same time. So I'll start by saying that I always kind of had my head on a swivel for some type of an entrepreneurial pursuit. My dad uh, was and is an entrepreneur, and so I grew up around him starting a small company from the very basics of like, you know, racking up credit card debt to <laughs> eventually getting acquired by a bigger company. You know, like that's, so having seen that life cycle, it was always interesting to me. That being said, you know, my going way back my childhood, I, I was sort of a uh, sort of eclectic in my interests, at least in a serial sense. I mean, at one point I wanted to go to West Point. At one point I wanted to be a surgeon. Eventually, I settled on wanting to go into some kind of a business, and so I knew business was probably going to be what I was interested in, but I had no idea. And so I'm just I feel like I stumbled into a career that helped that like worked for me, mm-hmm. um, in the sense that I took a financial theory course and then I was like, I want to do finance. And so I, 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 my first career wound up just kind of going, okay, that's my route to business. But mm-hmm. I always kind of had that inkling, um, that I wanted to get to something more entrepreneurial eventually. And so the way that I looked at it, at least when I was starting out in my career was sort of like a three stage model of like, First, I was going to, you know, I called it my like capital capital accumulation phase where I was going to like get this hoard of money and then, yeah, right. Yeah. Scrooge McDuck. Like I was uh, then like stage two was going to be capital deployment. And so I was going to invest in either myself or some other enterprise, do something more entrepreneurial to really, you know, turn that little bit of savings into something that could set me up for life. And then from there, I was going to move on to self-actualization. I was going to whatever, write or do something, you know, fuzzy and, and like warm and fuzzy and, and like, I don't know, save the world, do that. So can I ask how old were you when you were, you know, envisioning this three-step process? Because I think I'm like imagining myself going into the workforce and the things that I cared about. And I don't think I had even like, I can just assure you self-actualization was not part (laughs) of that plan. Yeah. Well, I, I guess part of it was, it was, Two, th- two sides of the same sword in the sense that the job that I started out with was one that I was incredibly fortunate to land. Mm-hmm. And so this whole, you know, capital accumulation phase is something that a lot of people just don't have, uh, aren't, aren't as privileged to be able to start thinking about that as early in the sense that I was a, I was in a position where I could start saving money right away. And sure. so that kind of, that's, that kind of fast forwarded that 
style to becoming like, okay, climb up Maslow's pyramid and like <laughs> try and reach that self-actualization. What am I going to do when I get to the top? <laughs> exactly. I'm going to write poetry. Right. No, I mean, seriously. But for now, I'm going to work for Goldman Sachs. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I mean, so that was, that was part of it was just, uh, was getting to a point where I felt like, okay, I, I can at least see the path mm-hmm. forward. Um, and then from there, the other side of it was just that, I mean, I was working on a trading floor, so it's not like I was saving the world by any stretch of the imagination. And so I, because there was such a clear lack of it in what I was doing before, I felt like I was going to have to balance the scales eventually. It's not, mm-hmm. I wasn't doing evil or anything like that. It was just more of like, I wasn't fulfilled by what I was doing. And so fulfillment needed to come at some point and it wasn't going to come from that. That's really interesting. I I wonder, like in retrospect now, I'm trying to think about at what point in my full-time job did I realize that like, hey, fulfillment is not coming from this. And I always kind of allude to that point like six months in where you have that stark realization like, oh shit, this is the rest of my life. I will (laughs) never forget that moment. But up until then, I think I had kind of you know, doing marketing for an airline, I was like, this is my life's purpose. I'm going to do this forever. I'm going to, you know, die as an employee of Southwest. <laughs> and it it did take a while for, for me to, I think, come around to the fact that that wasn't true in part because I think I was afraid to admit that. Yeah. And it's that sense of like, I just remember wanting that job so badly and hustling for it for multiple summer internships and doing the political campaigning for yourself, following up with everybody you worked with when you're back in college, so, you know, just really trying to like network with the best of them. That when when you get something that you, you worked for for so long and thought you wanted it so badly, and then you, it is kind of scary to like then acknowledge, okay, this is great, but this actually wasn't the key to the kingdom that I thought it was. Right. I mean, and there's an, if you're anything like me, there's a a part of you that starts to wonder like, am I just some spoiled millennial or something like who the hell am I to say that I've got what it takes or I'm one of the chosen ones that's going to go out and save the world. Like the reality for most people is they just got to grit it out. So who the hell am I to think that I don't fall into that bucket? Oh, there's totally like, there's totally privilege involved with that, but there's also, to your point, I remember thinking, like, is there something wrong with me that this doesn't make me happy? Mm-hmm. Like, this is an amazing job for somebody with my degree. Like, my level of education and and the, you know, job prospects that I had. And there were people that, like, it's just a desirable place to work. So the right. fact that I was like, the fact that I'm wanting for more right now, right. is there something fundamentally wrong with me? <laughs> right, and that's, the, like, you can, you can forgive people, particularly in older generations, for kind of, like, looking down their nose at the whole fire movement. Because this mm-hmm. whole, like, retire early thing is foreign. Because for the people who did, you know, the 9 to 5 till you're 65 jam... You can forgive them for going like, wait a second. So I worked till to the bone till I was 65 and built up all this capital in society so that you can check out when you're 35 and never, you know, contribute to society yeah. again. Like that seems like a raw deal, generationally speaking. Mm-hmm. But and so it's it's like there's a lot of um, a lot of looking at it in a broad sense. There's a lot of self doubt that comes from going like, oh, am I really gonna? check out you know like i i I gotta move the i gotta you know turn the wheel somehow i gotta move the ball forward um you know i I basically owe it to myself or society or whoever it is like everybody's done this before so who am i to break the mold oh one thousand percent and so when we when we talk about kind of that chicken or egg too 
and the entrepreneurial instinct. I remember, so I went to Alabama, which was eight hours south of where I lived. So I was driving back and forth a lot, had a lot of time in the car. And I think somewhere probably halfway through college, I discovered podcasts. It took me a while. But once I found them, I was obsessed. And there was this one podcast that I found. It was a very meta show called Startup. And it was about... It was a podcast about starting a podcast company. (laughs) So now the media company Gimlet Media is like fairly well known. They have a lot of different shows. But at the time, the founder, I think, was coming from This American Life and wanted to kind of branch it on his own and do his own thing. But he didn't know how to start a company. And so he basically, for all of season one, records himself... Okay, here's my meeting with Chris Saka, like pitching him for venture capital. Here's Chris Saka telling me that I'm full of shit and I just did a terrible job on that pitch. Here's, you know, I'm trying to come up with the name and like the actual conversations of him talking to his wife about what if I called it this and his wife being like, mm, that's kind of an awkward name. Like, no, I don't think so. And just kind of him wrestling with that constant self-doubt of like, is this pointless? Do I don't know what I'm doing. Like... And I guess the whole the whole point of that was that listening to that podcast for hours on end when I was like, I don't know, 19 or 20, it, it taught me two things. The first was that, holy shit, this actually sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> like, how cool would that be to, to create something from nothing? But at the same time, oh wait, maybe nobody knows what they're doing. Right. Because I think when you're in college, at least for me, I had this perception of the way that these big incumbent firms start, that it's like... Oh, there's, you know, there's all these suits that know everything already. They have endless supply of money. It's this very sequential, linear, you know, steps that are being followed. I'm like, boom, that's Walt Disney. Like, that's how that... I think in reality, like, getting to hear the start of something and hear a grown man that had, I guess, experience on NPR or wherever venturing out and in every single episode being like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing, you know, making mistakes left and right... It was this cool permission of sorts of like, wow, I guess I guess anyone can do this, question right. mark. Like, I guess you don't actually have to know very much to start something. Same with, like, um, the How I Built This podcast mm. with Guy Raz. I would love listening to the stories about, like, Airbnb and just the different, you know, companies that seem so huge and established now that you know listening to people being like yeah we maxed out all of our credit cards and (laughs) we're sleeping on couches and like every investor told us no this is stupid it's just it's a cool kind of like peek under the hood to be like oh okay you know if i ever do at the time i thought like if i ever do have a good idea i'm gonna go for it because this sounds way more fun than just following someone else's corporate handbook absolutely i mean and there's a there's a lot in there that i that i'd love to unpack but like one of the things that leaps to mind based on what you just said is uh is you know forgive the math term but like the skewness involved in this whole thing because one of the terrifying and wonderful things about small business or startup or just beginning your own entrepreneurial pursuit Mm -hmm. of any kind is that it's not a democracy right like now you know hold the phone i'm not going pro dictatorship or anything but what i'm saying is like the a majority of people don't have to agree with what you're doing yeah as long as you've got your passionate minority then you're good to go because there are so many you know communities segments of the population etc who need something Mm -hmm. and even if you provide a perfect solution for exactly you know five percent of the population then 95 percent 
hate what you're doing or just are mm-hmm. worse, indifferent um, to what you're doing. But if you've got that passionate minority, then it's all then it's all good. And you know, the same as goes for the market goes for investors too. Because like to your point about you know listening to how I built this and and you know how people actually do go about getting investment dollars. It's like you don't need a majority of investors to like democratically vote you to the top and then all the funds get allocated to you. It's just like in a lot of cases, it's some man or woman who's sitting there like, yeah, I think this is going to go. And they cut you a check. Um, Now, it's, you know, it's just a it's a minority rules thing in in a good way in the sense that you don't have to convince everybody. You just have to convince somebody. You just have to go out there and find your audience like you have of, of a, a specific you know, type of person who's going to be interested in this type of subject and really hit it better than anybody else is. And that's mm-hmm. the whole name of the ballgame. So you can kind of define your race of mm-hmm. like define like this is the race I'm going to run and here's how I'm going to run it. And because you can choose your lane, you can hopefully stack the deck a little bit more in your favor than just like an average person at a craps table. Totally. And it, it's funny that you mentioned the Democratic majority like ruling in your favor because I remember that was something that always really bothered me about corporate America was that there was this process that they would do, the managers, to determine who was going to get promoted, who's getting more money, who's getting promoted, who deserves this, right? And they called it calibrations <laughs> because every single person, like, they basically had to agree. It was like a bell curve. Like, all right, if you if we have 15 employees, only three of them can get promoted. Only three can be truly exceptional. You know, 10 are going to be in your middle solid range. And then the remaining, how many did I say 15? The <laughs> remaining two are on the needs improvement. But so it's like, it was all really relative to the people that were immediately uh, in your office with you. And so there was a, a fair amount of... Um, I want to, you know, I'm try- I feel like I'm using the word campaigning a lot, but posturing that was it's happening. Subjective, yeah. Because you're trying to convince these other people and multiple people, not just your own manager, but other people's managers through, you know, these different touch points and meetings and it basically being like widely impressive enough that there is a general consensus that you deserve whatever you're going to get. And... You know, I think that that works to some degree, but after going through that, you know, there, it's not its not to say that that's unfair. It's just that it's an inefficient way, at least in my own life, that I found to increase your income. Mm-hmm. Like, if that's if those people hold your fate in their hands, obviously you can impact it by being a quote-unquote good employee. But to some degree, you could be the best employee in that place, the smartest one, the most productive one. But if you're not going out of your way to convince everyone else of that, mm-hmm. you're not going to get what you deserve. And so I remember like the first time I got a big raise, it was a 15% raise. And I only made, you know, $52,000 at the time or $53,000. So it bumped me up to 60000 And I had to fight tooth and... I mean, I was... I was making presentations of like, <laughs> these were my accomplishments over the year. Look at everything I've done to get that raise. And it ultimately amounted to like six or $7,000. And I remember the first time that Money with Katie signed a big sponsor and it was like a $20,000 contract <laughs> that took two phone calls and then probably a few hours of output. And it was just this, you know, eyes wide open moment of like, 
oh wow, like when you are doing this on your own, the only person that you have to convince is the one cutting you the check. And it's always gonna be somebody different, whether that's a customer or an investor or a sponsor, whatever it is, however it plays into your business model. But I was like, wow, I, I hustled for a whole year and then for a whole promotion season to get six grand, which mm-hmm. you know after taxes is even less than that. And in you know one cold email outreach, two phone calls and a few articles later, I've got three times that. It just was like, that's a, that's a joke. Like yeah. that, that shouldn't even be, that there's just no comparison. And I get that not everybody wants to do that or that there's more, you know, risk involved, so to speak, but it was a, it was eye opening. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, it dovetails well with something that, uh, something that my uncle uh, sat me down and, and spoke with me about when I was still mm. kind of hemming and hawing um, uh, about should I stay or should I go? And that was like basically just pointing out the fact that I'm never going to get rich by working for somebody else. Mm. And so I'm not saying getting rich is what it's all about. I emphatically don't believe that getting rich is what it's all about. But insofar as what was keeping me from doing something entrepreneurial, i.e. what was keeping me at my old job was money. Yeah. That just the it's just the needling you know thought that maybe even from just a strictly money perspective maybe I'm shortchanging myself because mm-hmm. um, if the only reason I'm sticking around is for money and it's not the right solution for money then what the hell am I doing? Oh, for sure. Well, and it it almost it reminds me of you know I remember there was there's and you know I think this is still pervasive but I think we are starting to see the shift that you know there's this idea that the standard nine to five job is secure that that is the stabler, more secure route. And that's the belief for a reason, right? Like you are going to get a paycheck every two weeks. You know how much money is going to be on that paycheck, when it's going to hit the account down to the day. It's it's obviously, it's at least in the beginning, probably more stable and steady than doing something fully on your own where you're trying to build up multiple streams of revenue and it's, it's not guaranteed and it could be more, it could be less. You have big months, small months, um, But in retrospect now, it's surprising to me that I felt kind of that same concern that you did because it, it didn't take long for me to realize that when I was doing my own thing, yeah, you know, money with Katie is, is on the whole broadly one source of income, but there are, there's sales income from products, there's sales income from courses, there's sponsorship income, affiliate income, and even within each of those buckets, there's three or four individual sources. Mm -hmm. So the idea of only getting two paychecks a month and relying on, really it's just that single point of failure, having Mm -hmm. one job that you're relying on to provide income for you, that now to me, having experienced both things does actually start to feel a little bit scarier and a little bit more precarious than, okay, I'm doing this on my own and it's all up to me, but there are 12 different ways that I'm making money. So even if half of them fail, as long as the other half stays strong this month, I'm good. Right. Now, I mean, there are a lot of kind of numbers that are bandied about on, you know, money Twitter or just personal finance content in general. You know, like one of the one of the things I heard, I can't remember where, but was just like the average millionaire has seven sources oh, of income. Yeah. One in, Only one in nine businesses make it. And so I got to start 63 businesses, <laughs> better get to work. And so... That's daunting from the standpoint of like starting a business. Yeah, I mean, 
the deck is stacked against you for sure. in the sense that just, you know, for every one of those Airbnbs or for one of those, you know, companies that really just gripped it and ripped it and went all the way to the top, mm-hmm. there's like nine or 12 corpses by the side for of the sure. road that didn't make it. And so it's, it's inherently, yes, risky. However, the other side of that is if it weren't, then it wouldn't pay out as well. You know, mm-hmm. like that's that's the whole reason why the more established a company gets, the more it becomes profitable, the more it becomes, you know, something that's repeatable and scalable, et cetera, the less risk there is in it. And so mm-hmm. because there's less risk, there's less return. Um, and so from the standpoint of maximizing your potential, you know, it, it's no surprise that these big industries like finance and law and other, you know, and to some to some extent tech at the upper echelons like have these super high paychecks and things because the talent that they're buying with those paychecks are in many cases, not exclusively, but in many cases, odds wise, the ones who could go out there and knock something out of the park on their own. And so that's like the classic sort of do I want to go be a, you know, a high power software engineer or do I want to go do a startup? Because it's inherently just it's more risky. You you might get those thousand to one payouts or it might fall flat on its face and you could be looking for a job in another year. Totally. And so it's the, the stability, <clears throat> to your point, is uh, is a key feature. But the other thing that they don't tell you when they talk about, you know, the average millionaire has seven sources of income is like, what are those sources of income, right? right? Their dividend income, in, interest income, capital gains. Like, it's not like they have, you know, seven jobs that they're right. working all at one time. Totally. It's like most of it comes from capital that they've already accumulated. And I remember, yeah, so that honestly is kind of chicken or egg too, right? It's like when you say capital they've already accumulated, they may have accumulated that capital from working a high paying job, but to your point, they're not working seven different jobs. So I used to see those quotes and be like, all right, I got two full-time jobs, two side hustles, and so I'm like, I'm five, five of the way there. Five of my seven, check. But, like, that is, A, it's a recipe for burnout, right? And I think what I have realized now in retrospect was that by doing so many different things, I was not really able to do any of them exceptionally well. Mm-hmm. I think I was I was doing well enough to get by, but you only have so much attention and energy as a human. And mm-hmm. so I, I hesitate sometimes, like wanting to walk that line between, yes, side hustles can be very powerful, mm-hmm. but you want to make sure that whatever you're doing as a side hustle is something that you also enjoy that fills you up versus Mm -hmm. like totally depleting you. And I think it is, it's kind of a balance because I I would have probably never left a full-time job to Mm -hmm. start money with Katie from day one, Mm -hmm. but running money with Katie while working full-time for two years was actually fairly manageable. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, I would be remiss not to admit that like, it did take a toll on my performance at work only because it made me realize, oh, wait, this is how it feels to actually care about something you're doing, mm-hmm. that it became that much harder to then give that same level of energy and effort to my employer because I felt like, okay, no, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is where I see the highest ROI on my time and energy. Right. So it, it, you know, it kind of became like, I went from being an exceptional employee to being just like a decent one. Right. Well, and that's the thing too is is not all side hustles are created equal. Like there's right. a star, there's a stark difference in character between a side hustle that is accretive in the sense that what you do on Monday builds into what you do Tuesday and then a month from then you've got totally. all these assets that are working in your favor versus something like, you know, driving for Uber or something like that where you're just like 
selling your time yep. because things that where you don't own the output where you know just boom you're done you know they've given you the rating and the tip and all that kind of stuff and and they never walk into your life again that is it's really just strictly selling time mm -hmm. whereas what you were doing with money with katie was every post that you made built your portfolio every post that you made was something you know oh here's more content people find you and they like you and they go and then look at this thing again it's like an evergreen type of asset that is on your you know on the capital side of your ledger and so it's it's like something that will continue to pay dividends for you and so there's a there's a big difference between side hustles where you own the asset afterwards and side hustles where you perform a service and then it's out the window. That is super interesting. I mean, I've always thought about the whole kind of selling your time versus the, the more um, efficient, I guess, way to create income. But I, I haven't thought about it in the sense that what you're doing on Monday is building on to, you know, by the end of the week, that is now, it's, it's you know, an asset that you keep. I hadn't thought about it like that. And on the blogging topic, I want to mention um, just while I'm thinking about it, because this is something that comes up a lot for me in my DMs, and that is, you know, if you want to start a blog and you want to monetize a blog, how do you go about doing that? So often in this space, it feels like when people say, oh, I want to create a blog, what they're really saying is, I want to have an Instagram account. <laughs> and most blogs do not, or I'm sorry, most Instagram accounts that I see that are, you know, influencer-led or, or based where it is kind of that business model of like, oh, okay, I'm the face of it. My point of view or my perspective is, is kind of like what I'm offering to the world. It is kind of all about me. And even if it's anonymous, it's still based on this one individual. Most of the time, the Instagram account is not paired with a, a website or a podcast or something that's going to live on mm -hmm. beyond the shelf life of the 24-hour Instagram post. And so I find that even within the blogging world and the monetization of content, you got to think about it the same way. That if I post something on Instagram... Yes, it may bring more followers in the moment, but that post does have a limited lifespan. No mm -hmm. one's going to go back and scroll except for, you know, maybe your like truest super fans who want to <laughs> see what you were saying in, From the very beginning. in December 2020. <laughs> but that post is going to live on the timeline for a couple days. It's going to do its work for you for a few days, and then it does nothing ever again right. for the most part. Right. Whereas an article that is searchable that someone can find on Google because they're, you know, six months later mm -hmm. asking Google a question that your article answers. If you know even a little bit about SEO, you can get a lot of longevity and like juice from that one piece of content. Same with podcasting. I can't tell you how many times I've found new shows by searching a topic in the Spotify app and then someone's episode comes up and I'm like, it's from two years ago, but it's awesome. And so I'm like, oh, cool. I'm going to subscribe to the show and go listen to it. So I think there's, there's a certain longevity that comes along with those longer form pieces of content that, and it doesn't have to be hours long, mm -hmm. by the way, mm -hmm. but just stuff that, that has a shelf life that lasts a little bit longer that is going to work for you for a longer period of time and consistently continue to bring people to you without, you know, the Instagram rat race, which is effectively, you know, I have to post every single day for the algorithm to continue to show my stuff to new people. If I took a week off from Instagram, that would actually hurt the performance. Mm -hmm. That's not a sustainable way to build a monetized content platform. Mm -hmm. It's a great way to get new people in your like top of funnel, but 
at the end of the day, if all of your time and energy is going into something like Instagram, you're really like, I'm just, I can't describe this image, but like, I'm picturing somebody like on the hamster wheel, just (laughs) rushing and sweating. It's like, yeah, the lights are going to stay on, but like at what cost? Well, and that's the thing too, is, is I don't know what it's like. I don't have an Instagram account. And so I, I don't, (laughs) I mean, that's, I don't know what it's like, but what you're describing sounds to me like something where regardless of whether you have something good and interesting to say, you got to pump it out because otherwise you're dead. And so like, that's the thing is, you know, being able to put yourself into a medium where you can afford to wait until inspiration strikes and then really do something high quality on it, um, is, is a different, uh, a different situation, you know, cause like, for example, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Sam Harris as a podcaster Mm -hmm. and like a lot of his stuff, he's got some eclectic interests, but like, a lot of his stuff is stuff that you could go back and listen to it two years afterwards. And it's like, oh, yeah, I guess there was that current event going on. But it's not about current events. So it's right. not it doesn't date it. It's like about, you know, consciousness or meditation mm-hmm. or whatever, like whatever topic he's picked. I guess if it was two years ago, probably the election. But yeah. <laughs> but like, well, it's no, yeah, it, like, it's stuff it, that's like theoretically sound. It's yes. stuff that you can get something out of without, you know, like context independent. And, and Tim Ferriss talks about this a lot. I love that we're both just name dropping our favorite, like... <laughs> Please notice us. Yeah. <laughs> Tim, I love you. No, but he talks about that a lot, that he has he has this one article that still brings in thousands of views per month, and he published it years ago. Right. And it's, it's a dark topic. It's practical thoughts on suicide. Really kind of like, oh, what? But it's one of the, the examples that he always brings up, because he's like, it was so... It was so vulnerable and so out there yeah. that, you know, it, it it still is even years later bringing people into the Tim Ferriss ecosystem. And so for anyone listening to this that has a, an entrepreneurial lean toward like monetized content or, you know, it's almost like monetizing a point of view in some ways. I, I am currently focusing on shifting time and energy away from Instagram content and not putting things that I feel like, oh, there's actually some meat here. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, quotes, great. Inspiration, great. Funny stuff, great. Things that skew more entertainment Mm -hmm. and are are less uh, meaty. Mm -hmm. Because A, it takes less time to do that kind of stuff. And I think the ROI on on what kind of you're getting out of an Instagram post, it fits that better. Mm -hmm. But I used to spend a lot of time and energy trying to make really thoughtful and really deep and really just... Instagram posts that in retrospect, it's like, I don't know that anyone was actually sitting down and like giving those the thought and consideration Mm -hmm. that they deserved simply because of the medium. Mm -hmm. Because when you're getting on Instagram, you're doing it to be entertained and to forget about your day. You're not sitting there trying to read a term paper. Whereas (laughs) like you go onto a podcast platform, you want to learn, you want to be entertained. You're going to give it 20 to 30 minutes of your time. So it's just inherently blogging and podcasting. I think are better platforms for those types of of topics, and so I'm consciously trying to spend less time and energy on something like Instagram. Well, right, and and since insofar as this is something you know as a topic that sprang from you know your users or not your users, your you know content consumers or <laughs> listeners, readers, readers etc. Yeah. Um, asking about how to start a business, I think. You know, I would feel neglectful if I didn't mention what that transition has been like, you know, from, from being somebody who was working for the man to somebody who is working for myself. 
Um, and that has been really uh, nothing short of like transformational, almost in like a political sense, in the, in the sense that like going from you know that process of you know I, I've got my nine to five, or I guess in that case seven to five, but like <laughs> I've got my job and then I'm gonna you know cash this paycheck, you know clip the coupon, etc. Store store up money um, for whatever better things in the future. Going from that to um, something entrepreneurial, I've been really shocked at the extent to which people are supportive and willing to part with their time. I mean, even strangers are just like so willing to give advice, you know, oh, do you know this person, you know, like give you a referral. Oh, I, I'm, this isn't for me, but my, you know, my cousin is super into this stuff. So let me, you know, why don't you talk to him? Like that type of thing. It's just been shocking to me the degree of generosity, you know, going from somebody I didn't have any social media until six months ago. Now, obviously, starting a company, so I have to. But going from that orientation, I've been really impressed by the positive side of that openness that can come from, you know, well-used social media from the standpoint that it's like in its most ideal sense, it's built to connect people. And why I'm even bringing it up is because... I had gotten kind of pigeonholed into a mentality where it's just like this zero sum sort of like you're only as good as your product, et cetera. And so just, you know, shut up and put your shoulders to the plow type of mentality that I, I just kind of worked myself into that and assumed that that was just the way it was everywhere. And now in entrepreneurial zone, it's much less like, you know, uh, let me get something out of this 20 minute conversation. Like if, if both people aren't benefiting, then it's not going to work. It's very transactional to now in, in entrepreneur space. It's just like everybody has, everybody who's got something to say on this topic has either been through it or wants to go through it. Yeah. And so from both sides, you've got the seasoned vets who are willing to give really good advice at no cost to you and things like that, which seems foolish from my old school mentality, but it's just the way they are because they've just crashed against all these walls themselves. Mm -hmm. They want to go like, oh, no, no, no. I'm going to save you a year of your life <laughs> by doing this because it took me a year to figure this out. Like they're just gagging yeah. to share the expertise and that... That uh, realm of generosity has been awesome. And then from the people who are, you know, I guess Mark Cuban might call them like entrepreneurs or like, you know, like people who want to go out and do something on their own. Um, it's, it's like there's a lot of support from that angle, too, in the standpoint that like they are almost like living vicariously from somebody through somebody who has actually made that jump and done mm -hmm. something entrepreneurial. And so you get a lot of tailwinds from people that you don't expect. And so I just wanted to highlight that for your audience. Cause it, insofar as there are people within your audience who are thinking about that in some ways, yeah, it's really hard. I mean, but the, on the other hand, it's like, there are so many people that come out of the woodwork and support you in that journey. And I'd love to hear what your experience has been like in that realm, because I mean, I'd imagine, you know, putting out quality content as you do, there's probably plenty of people, uh, plenty of people that are anxious to get on board and, and, you know, claim a, not in some sense, like an ownership stake in what mm. you're doing because they, they, they like it and they want to see more of it. Yeah. Interestingly, what that brings up for me is is less about the support from, you know, maybe other entrepreneurs, though I have seen that for mm -hmm. sure. And more so support from readers mm -hmm. and people that kind of join the, it sounds cheesy to call it like the Money with Katie community, but that's really <laughs> how I think of it. Because I, I, when I, when I talk to people, you know, in Instagram DMs or over email, it's like some of these people have, have started to actually feel like real friends of mine. Right. In some cases, like they've become actual real life friends, which has been <clears> very <throat> cool. But 
it's been surprising to me how supportive people are in general. And I think one of the questions that I would get asked sometimes is like, oh, well, you know, in this personal finance world as a woman, do you feel like you get, you deal with a lot of like trolls or like hate? Mm. And I honestly haven't, mm. which kind of surprised me because I remember very early on when I was publishing under my old blog that didn't go anywhere, by the way, katiegaddy.com, <laughs> rest in peace, that went nowhere, no monetization happened. Um, you know, I do remember getting kind of like trolly comments from, you know, anonymous people that <laughs> would leave like the, just the meanest shit on this blog. You don't know what you're talking about. Like, and I would argue with them. And I remember this one guy got under my skin so badly that I like literally tracked his IP address and then found oh it in gosh. Google Maps and was like, where does this guy live? Like trying to figure out like who I knew, like who this guy was. Cause he obviously knew me, but like did not want to reveal who he was in his unabashed, just shit talking. But you know, weirdly enough, it has been 99.9% positivity from, from the people that read and listen. And I guess mm -hmm. that's maybe a little bit like self-selecting bias because like, obviously if they're reading and listening, they probably care, but there hasn't been very much, um, you know, I guess downside from a, from a public, you know, hate standpoint, which I feel really fortunate to, yeah. to say, because I know that not everybody has that experience. Um, but the other thing that I was thinking about as you were kind of talking about like the the rising tide lifts all ships mentality and and i think one thing that i want to make really clear for people listening is that i don't think either you or i are trying to say that you know doing something entrepreneurial is inherently better than working for somebody else correct yeah but it's something that i think a lot of people maybe feel an inclination toward mm -hmm. that <clears throat> don't go for it because of, you know, fear of the finances, fear of not being able to get support from others, fear mm -hmm. of not knowing what to do. Mm -hmm. And so I think the sense that I get from, from both of us, honestly, is like, you know, a lot of the things that feel realistic and reasonable to fear are actually things that it's not going to take long for you to realize that they're not even, they're not, they shouldn't be real concerns or that they, they, they don't end up materializing in the way that you may expect them to. And so... I think I just want to make sure that like, if you're listening to this and you're like, Oh, well I have a nine to five and I love it. Yeah. Great. You win. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. You win. Exactly. Actually you say more about that. Yeah, because I, I think mean, that that's a great, I always used to, I always used to, to some extent envy the folks who had a job in trading that they loved because, yeah. and you know, it was through no function of the people that I worked with or anything like that. It just like dispositionally didn't suit me. I, it wasn't something that, you know, made my heart pound. And so it was, it was something that I always felt like people were lucky if they had that alignment between a, what was remunerative and B what actually fulfilled them, what, what got them excited to come to work in the morning. And so, you know, why, why I immediately instinctually said you win is because like, that's, that's the catbird seat, right? Like yeah. that's, that's to use some, you know, Midwestern old home. isn't like that. That's, that's so weird because my dad literally said that to me last <laughs> Thanks. night. Thanks. It was Something your dad. About the cat not your friend. Not your. No, <laughs> my fifty-six-year-old father. Yeah, well, that's that's pretty much that's where I'm at. So, I think um, I think liking what you do is the whole point. And yeah. so, why we're talking about entrepreneurship in the first place is because 
for both of us, that's wound up being that's wound up being what we like to do. Mm-hmm. But not everybody's going to fall into that same bucket. And by the way, even if it's like, oh well, I don't know if I'd ever want to go and start my own thing. There's a million you know, places on the sliding scale between yeah. working for a giant corporate job, which there's nothing wrong with that. But between that and like the pull of being like a solo founder or mm-hmm. that type of a thing where you can go join a smaller concern, you can, you know, have a side hustle, you can do whatever it may be. There are a million places. The, the point is just that like when people are exploring some type of a career switch more broadly or there's just some underlying gnawing level of dissatisfaction, then the point is that a lot of people will only consider the liability side of the ledger of mm. like going and doing something else, whatever whatever that may be, whether it's as adventurous as going out and starting your own business or as, 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 you know, mundane as jumping to another firm doing exactly what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, there's so much tendency among people to think of like, oh, well, what about this? You know, how am I going to pay this bill? Um, you know, I've got all these relationships built up. I can take all my vacation now. Like there are, there are all these assets that come with being at an organization for longer than, you know, six months, two years, whatever, that you immediately just poof, they disappear yeah. as soon as you go take something new. But there's a lot of stuff on the asset side of the ledger that doesn't get considered. And so that's kind of what I'm, what I hope to do. And, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm, uh, it's, it's a little bit circular insofar as the, you know, the, the business that I have started is one that's geared toward reallocating human capital to its highest and best use. And so one that's trying to encourage people to self-actualize sooner, do something more fulfilling, et cetera. And so I feel like to some extent I'm at risk of getting high on my own supply here (laughs) in the sense that (laughs) like, no, exactly. Like I'm, uh, this is, you know, this is clearly a change that I want to see in the world is yes, more entrepreneurs, but more broadly than that, it doesn't have to be entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. To your point, there are a lot of different ways to achieve fulfillment. And the point is just to look at both sides of the coin. It's not about just the things that are going to go wrong because of it, but the things that could really go right. I love that perspective. It reminds me of something that Thomas sent me recently in the midst of a big uh, money with Katie decision that I had to make about the future and what I was going to do and how I was going to allocate my time. And it basically was this guy that did have kind of a cush finance job. And he was thinking about leaving his cush finance job to pursue music. And like anyone on the outside looking at that would be like, bro, no, like you're, there's no way you're going to be able to pull that off. Like keep your fancy job with the high paycheck and the good benefits. Why don't you play guitar on the weekends and like call it a day? (laughs) But he had started, started doing it that way. Play, you know, playing music on the weekends, playing music after work. I think he like maybe sent out a CD, but anyway, the point is after a few months of that, he actually started to see some income coming Uh in from it. And when he was making that decision, I mean, it was nowhere near his banking income, but he was like, hey, you know, I'm looking at the pros and cons list of doing music full time. And he obviously had some cons, the financial (laughs) side being the primary one that he wasn't positive that he was going to be able to make very much money doing it. But the pros that he identified were also pretty compelling like okay i'm gonna get to you know spend my time doing what i want to be doing and you know i could see a case for like higher upside with this and the fact that if i'm spending all my time doing it like i think that the momentum will increase but his point in writing the post was like my knowledge of the pros side of the coin was limited because doing music full-time ended up introducing him to a whole new set of friends it's how he met his wife Mm -hmm. it ended up 
really instituting a lot of other crazy positive changes in his life <clears throat> as, you know, indirect consequences of that decision <clears throat> of leaving banking to do it. That I just, I think it was really powerful because it kind of showed like, you, you know, we have that bias toward thinking that, you know, we're able to judge the outcomes ahead of time or mm -hmm. to be able to accurately predict this is the good stuff that could happen. This is mm -hmm. the bad stuff that could happen. But ultimately, our our predictability of the future is very, very limited in scope on both sides. Mm -hmm. And so I thought it was a really powerful way to, to kind of illustrate that point or like envision and, and understand the fact that you know, if you can make even a slightly positive case for something, there are probably many other positive things that could come out of it that you're not even on the horizon. Absolutely. And I'm so glad you brought that up because I think it uh, it has a lot to do with, you know, your, your word for the year, alignment, yeah. right? Like, I think once I started living in alignment with whatever the force that I wanted to be in the world, that sound as woo-woo as I can, I think... <laughs> good things started happening from a number of perspectives. Mm. One, I was just a lot more comfortable inside my own skin, a lot less likely to get trapped in some kind of like introverted, you know, bubble. Um, and two, I was just, you know, I had something to say, you know, yeah. like, and that's, that's such an important part of, cause I think introversion's very, you know, contextual in the sense that, yeah, by Myers-Briggs, like, yeah, I'm an introvert, but get me going on personal finance and I'm not so <laughs> introverted anymore. You know, it's just like, Having that something that you're passionate about and having the privilege of diving into that for hours each day is really uh, generates a lot of uh, a lot of confidence and ability to, you know, have productive conversations with people. And not just it's not just about productivity, because since I've launched Chronify, I have made some of the best friends in my life, mm -hmm. you know, through Chronify or yeah. through, you know, ancillary sources that come from Chronify. And so it's like some of the some of the most meaningful relationships in my life right now have come from this. And so even if it falls flat on its face, already it's paid off in spades. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'd count friendship with you among that. Yeah, like in same. the sense that it's like if I was some rando like, hey, Katie, I live in Fort Collins. Do you want <laughs> do you want to do you want to chat sometime? If I'm like if I don't have anything to bring to the table, like how likely is someone to, you know, take that sort yeah, of a meeting? Yeah, the shared interest for Exactly. Sure. Like having something that you're passionate about. Because like that's what people want to see. You know, like that's what people want to have and the people they're sharing their lives mm -hmm. with is some kind of a passion. What sets them on fire? What are they doing on yeah. Saturday mornings before everybody else wakes up and they have a chance to do whatever they want? Mm -hmm. You know, like that's the... I, I worry about people who don't have that something mm -hmm. because then it's just like, okay, well, what are they... You know, what are they about? What what gets them going? If you can see that fire in somebody's eyes, and I'm laughing at myself because I, my eyes just got really big when I said <laughs> that. Like, if you can if you can see that what's animating them, um, then it really it really moves the ball forward and, and helps you get to that point of like, oh yeah, I can really invest in this person, in this relationship, in this you know, in this whatever this could be. Whereas people who are just kind of going through the motions, it's it's a lot harder to um, it's a lot harder to get engaged with them because they just in a lot of cases, haven't really engaged with themselves yet. And and Ben, I have to ask, like, if I, I think if I would have heard this conversation four years ago, <laughs> I would have been like, oh, fuck, nothing <laughs> animates me. Like, I don't know what it is. Like, I haven't found it yet. Like, yeah. What advice would you give to somebody who may be having that reaction right now? Who may be like, 
oh my God, I feel like I'm going through the motions and I'm blatantly unhappy about it, but I, I don't know how to go about finding that thing. Yeah, I think it's a really tricky question to answer because mm-hmm. I think I would fall into the same bucket as like, oh, that sounds really nice, but I don't have that. And so I yeah. guess I better just head down and go to work. Um, I was in a really fortunate circumstance that like I had a former coworker who's um, basically his old firm was rolling up his desk. And so his colleagues were like throwing footballs around the trading floor and stuff like that just whiling away the hours and he's like i'm gonna teach myself to code and so kind of an odd duck one of my best friends like he's a he's a good dude and so basically he gave me his little you know bible of like hey i bumped into i bumped into a million walls online Mm -hmm. here's how to teach yourself how to code Mm -hmm. and so for me that was sort of my gateway into this space from a number of standpoints one i'd gotten eight years into a career where i got to a point where i was just like okay well if i go do something else i'm gonna be competing against a bunch of young and hungry 22 year olds with cs degrees like yeah that's that wasn't me and so like who the hell am I you know that's question number one that I've asked multiple times already on this podcast I think. but <laughs> I who think am I? <laughs> yeah, exactly but having that um you know having people who know what you're about and are like are able to go like you know what I know you've never done this before but I think you'd really be into it that helps in addition honestly just trying new things you know learning a new language putting yourself in uncomfortable situations like for some reason the first thing that comes to mind is like what if i were to go take tango lessons or something like yeah. tim ferris has tim talked ferris. about that <laughs> in the past. no exactly like that that sort of orientation to just being a perpetual learner yeah is just completely um indispensable in in coming to find something that you like because if you're not taking in new grist for the mill if you're not taking in new things that you're doing then how are you going to find that thing like i'd never written a line of code in my life until 2018 and then now i freaking love it you know like where does that come from Mm -hmm. it's kind of happenstance but it wouldn't have happened if i didn't at least tug at the thread and so like Mm -hmm. i had a very very strong tendency to head down, shoulder to the plow, do my work, and good things will happen. To the exclusion of mm. that kind of like epsilon, I'm oh, sorry, more math, like that kind of like error term of like randomness that comes into all of life. Because like, spoiler alert, there's a ton of randomness yeah. in life. Um, I wasn't embracing that uh, that allocation of my time and energy to just what could be behind door number three you know yeah. like I was very very focused on like okay well this 10% needs to be this 10% of my life that I would allocate to that needs to be you know devoted to optimality I need to make sure that I'm exercising more or reading more or doing all these things and these are important like they're what keeps me spinning but I've only very recently come to appreciate how much value there is in just that what's behind door number three mentality, like putting yourself, creating some slack in your life so that it's like, you know what? I think I'm probably going to hate the violin, but let's take a lesson and see. I love that. It's funny because when I asked you that question, the word that I had in my head was curiosity. Yeah. And I feel like you just gave a far more articulate and inspirational <laughs> or rambling <laughs> answer that kind of gets at the same, the same, you know, part of the issue, which is, you have to be a little bit curious. You have to, you know, want to try new things, accepting that you may try 10 things and nine of them may flop, Yeah, but that's okay. And that's kind of the point, right? Like in doing so, you learn more about yourself. Right. You learn, oh, I hate violin. <laughs> well, why do I hate violin? Oh, because it, you know, I don't even know. I've never played violin before. So yeah, I'm right. about to reveal how <laughs> ignorant I am about it. But you may learn that like, okay, I don't like things that like, 
you know, take a lot of time or I don't like things that require a lot of patience. It's like, okay, cool. You can then funnel that learning or insight into the next thing that you try. And I think that there is some, some beauty in that too, that even when you're finding things that you don't like, that in itself is, is knowledge about you. Right. Well, and, and as it goes for, you know, your vocation, I've found, so it goes for relationships in the mm-hmm. sense that, you know, I transplanted myself to Colorado knowing next to nobody here, you know, like I've got, I guess, an aunt and uncle who live in town, but that's pretty much it. And so from the standpoint of people that I was going to be spending my days with, you know, getting to know their families and things like that, it's kind of starting from zero miles per hour. And so that is like, it almost necessitated this, this shift because like my social MO had always been like, pick a few friends and just like ride them hard, like invest heavily (laughs) in that sounds worse than it is. No, it's like... No, but same. I've always, like, when we were trying to pick our, like, wedding parties... Right. It's like, I have one friend. Right. No, I literally have one person that I'm like, I want her to be there. And that's the thing is, like, I was very much in that mentality. And I still, like, I stand by that mentality. I think, you know, going deep with somebody is is far more important than, like, going wide with, like, a a A whole host of people. However... There's just like, you know, the, the odds wise, you, you know, like most of, most of your listeners, uh, probably haven't met their best friend of their life yet, you know, like, and so being open to that idea, like some of my, some of the most important people in my life right now are people I didn't know existed two years ago. Mm -hmm. And that is like a really, almost really powerful thing on a meta level in the sense that if I hadn't created that slack and been intentional about, despite my, you know, erstwhile introversion, if I hadn't been intentional about going out there and forming new relationships and like, sure, just like get a whole bunch of reps, you know, like get, get, uh, have conversations with a whole bunch of people and some people immediately, oh yeah, it's not a good fit. And other people, you know, one out of a hundred would be like, this is amazing. This person could be a best friend type. But if you don't at least get more people into the funnel, like to use a sales (laughs) framework, it's like (laughs) my friendship top of funnel. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But if if you don't do that, then you're never going to get to that desired end state. And so it's just kind of like a, it's kind of an openness, uh, an openness mentality, you know, like uh, for example, one of my, one of my best friends now in the whole world is somebody that, you know, began as a customer of Mm -hmm. Chronify. And so it's just like that, relationship developing has been really cool because it's just like from the very get-go it was uh it was something where i was just like it was clear that he was kind of on the same wavelength as me in the sense that like we're both at points of our life where we're willing to like branch out and explore new things Mm -hmm. and things like that and so just uh you know that that side of things i think is really important and the two that's the beautiful thing about you know doing something that you're passionate about is there doesn't have to be this clean dividing line between business and work you know like you can work with people that you really like you can wind up liking the people that you work with you can wind up in these you know interesting relationships with people that you never would have come into contact with if you didn't hang out your shingle and do something that you were passionate about because that's what they want to see they want to see some fire in your eyes yeah no and I think that when you said that you know you thought man if I just you know work hard keep my head down good things will happen to me. Like, you know, go to work, clock in, clock out. Right. I I think I had the same mentality. And and weirdly enough, a lot of that I think came from that lovely Catholic guilt in my upbringing, (laughs) like the morality or the ethical side of working really hard. Right. And it was kind of that sense of like, okay, well, if I'm a good adult, like registered copy marks, (laughs) if I'm a real person and I go to work every day, but 
the point was, was that that was really what I saw as doing the most and checking all of the boxes was really Mm -hmm. in actuality doing the bare minimum Mm -hmm. because I would expend myself fully at work during the day, give them the best of what I had and then go home and collapse onto the couch and turn on Bravo for three hours and drink half a bottle of wine and fall asleep. And, but I thought like, it's okay because I already gave everything I needed to give today. I've explored all there was to explore today because I tried really hard at my day job Mm -hmm. and have a couple friends at my day job and okay, great. That's, that's a good life. But I should have probably taken a hint from the fact that like I had no energy or interest in doing anything other than like self-medicating after work and like right. melting into the couch, mm-hmm. that that wasn't really serving me in the way that I think I thought it was. And so, I don't know, I, I still watch TV after work. It's not to say that there's anything wrong with that, but to your point, it, it took a few, it took a little bit too long. Yeah. I did that for a little bit too long. Before, I was like, you know what? This isn't, this just isn't working. Right. And, Notably, the way that I found my community in Dallas was I went through yoga teacher training Mm. with this group of women that, you know, kind of, I became good friends with some of them, but Mm -hmm. it also opened me up to this whole new world, which was the Dallas fitness community. And it kind of came just out of like, hey, I'm just interested in yoga. I like going to yoga class. I wonder if I could be a yoga instructor. And then like that fitness job was kind of parlayed into a bigger and better fitness job Mm -hmm. teaching other disciplines where I met some of my true like best friends that I I still to this day I'm like those are some of my best friends in the world um and it really wouldn't have happened had I not just kind of it like scratched the itch Mm -hmm. of like I should be doing something more I like want something more was being a fitness instructor my life's work absolutely not but I would so regret having not gone down that path out Mm -hmm. of either laziness or talking myself out of it or saying, oh, well, I already have a full-time job. So like, let me just stick with that and not even, not even like explore this other thing. And so now candidly, I'm trying to figure out what my fitness instructor equivalent is Mm -hmm. in Fort Collins. Like, Mm -hmm. okay, now I'm living in this new place. I had a huge network in Dallas Mm -hmm. thanks to that one decision, really. And that one decision that spurred many other decisions. That, by the way, was a pretty good side hustle. Making, you know, a few hundred extra bucks a month or a thousand dollars a month from it, which at the time was meaningfully contributing to my income. But, uh, yeah, I don't... It's it's kind of funny now that I'm having to like repeat that same process. I almost feel a little bit like frozen in my tracks of like, okay, well, like, do I go for the fitness thing again and like <laughs> try to do that, or do I try to get into like a different little niche community in Fort Collins? Like, I uh, it's funny because I'm I'm having that realization of like, oh, making friends as an adult is hard, but <laughs> it's there, no joke. Yeah, there are some weird parallels between the kind of the comments about curiosity and and going out there and trying to learn new things and and the the relationships that come out of them because I I do have a great deal of empathy for people that maybe feel like they want to start their own thing but aren't sure where to start because in some ways that's exactly where I am right Mm -hmm. now in in kind of having analysis paralysis of Mm -hmm. like okay well do I go like maybe I could go to a climbing gym maybe I could try this and and it, it is just a you know at some point you have to shit or get off the pot yeah like just try something just right. literally do do anything and it's right. better than sitting there and, and 
kind of wondering what the next best move is. Right. Well, and it's funny to hear you, you know, talking about fitness because that's actually how you and I wound up meeting, meeting was yeah. through a mutual friend that I met through jujitsu, which has yeah. kind of taken a, in some ways a similar role in my own life. It's just like, okay, well, it's, it's one more point of contact with yeah. the, with the community or however you want to put it. And, and that's the thing too, is like, it all kind of, it all kind of merges into this, into this, you know, same, uh, the same sort of complex from the standpoint of like finding something, doing that self-sorting of like, Hey, I'm into this. How about you? And the only people that showed up in the building are people that are into that. So that's nice. You, you kind of get past the, you know, the first step of like, okay, we've at least got one thing in common. But then the other thing that I've found to be tremendously powerful is it doesn't, you know, like merging topics here. It's the type of thing where, you know, what's the most common question that people ask when they're just meeting somebody? It's like, what do you do for work? And so I went through a period of my life where I was sort of like sheepish about that. In fact, I had this one, I haven't thought about this in a little while, but I had this <laughs> one one time where I was, I was at a, it was a work function for my wife's work. And so I was kind of already out of my depth and whatever. Um, she was in real estate. And, um, and so I was sitting around the table and, and I remember sitting next to this person who was, who worked in fashion and when I said that I was in finance, his response was really like, oh, and then kind of like turned to the person on the other side. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you got nothing for me. <laughs> no, exactly. It was just like, it was just brutal in the sense that like, oh yeah, I am, I am that now. You know, it, oh, it was the type of thing where no. it was like, I felt sort of sheepish, like, yeah. like because my heart wasn't set on fire by finance and kudos to the people whose hearts are set on fire because again, you win. But like, that's the... For me, being out of alignment with who I was, you know, if I were, if I were somebody who was all about finance all the time, then I would totally be fine with them being like, oh, you know, that's fine. I I don't want to chat with you. Uh, It would be, it would be hard to like swallow because it'd be like, well, wait a second, I'm a person too, but like, and boo-hoo, I'm in finance. But like the, the idea that, um that you're sort of like whatever wearing a mask or something like that if you're not if you're not actually bringing your true self to work then it's just like that was a conversation that in the past I was always trying to move on to like okay well yeah here's what I do for work but what what's the best book you've read recently or like totally. do something more interesting like here no here's who I actually am like let's talk about well, that and that's where I thought you were going with that because I if, you know for the recent history when people would ask me what I do uh-huh. it'd be like well, during the day I do this. Yeah. I, I wouldn't want to talk about Speed it. Speed on. I'd be so, yeah. like, who gives a fuck about that? Like, I don't even give a fuck about that. Yeah. You know? But it's like, but let me tell you what I, but actually, like, what I really care about. So personal finance. Like, exactly. Have you heard of fu- so, but I think that that's kind of the cool part of, like, you know, that is a good gauge, yeah. or, like, metric by which you can judge, um, you know, how in alignment you are, I think, mm-hmm. is, like, how do you respond to that question of what do you do? Is right. it like you just want to like check the box and move on or mm-hmm. are you excited to talk about it to that person? Another right. great metric is how does Sunday afternoons feel? Yeah. Are you like, oh my God, I, <laughs> you know, I feel this existential dread. I feel anxious. I feel yes. like crap. Or are you kind of like, all right, bring it on Monday. Like I'm ready. I'm kind of, I want to go see what's on the calendar for tomorrow and what I'm going to get done and I think that that was a meaningful shift for me as well, Mm -hmm. um, is that, you know, you couldn't have paid me to work (laughs) on my job, my, you know, former jobs stuff on Saturday and Sunday. Like, I remember I dated somebody several years ago now who was an electrical engineer, Uh um, 
And he just loved it. Like, uh-huh. on Saturday mornings, I'd be like, hey, you want to go do literally anything? And right. he would be like, well, I want to get a few hours of work in. And I just could not relate. Right. I was like, how could you ever like working on something so much that, like, you're opting to do that instead of going to brunch or, right. you know, going on a walk or whatever? Literally anything. And uh-huh. sort of there. He broke up with me after like three months. He also probably just wasn't that interested in me, which is fine. But um, but now I get it because like I will get offers to do things on Saturdays, not often in Fort Collins where I don't really know anybody. But every once in a while, something will come up and it'll be like, well, would I rather do that or would I rather write about that thing I've been thinking about all week? Ooh, and it's like actually a hard decision. And so, you know, I guess you could argue that maybe that you, that can happen to a fault where yeah. you're too into your work and like, okay, let's remember, like, work does not love us back. Mm-hmm. But I think we can learn a lot about where we're at and maybe what our next best step should be or where we should be focusing right. based on just our emotional reactions to some of those prompts of yeah. like, all right, well, if you had to work on a Saturday, would that be like hell no I would never or right. is that like oh I'm already doing that because I like love what I do no I, th- I think you're so right about how it can cut both ways in the sense that yes you know when I was at my old job about which I was not passionate I would go home and on Saturday mornings I'd be like baking bread with my two-year-old daughter and like doing all that oh, type of thing yeah. you know it's just like work was the furthest thing from my mind and so I'm arguing against myself here but like <laughs> now it's just like my head is always humming you know yeah. like this is this company's my baby and and you know I've got three real babies that I also gotta <laughs> care you know take care of and sorry so, ladies no exactly and so it's like I uh there's there's definitely like I said it cuts both ways but you're also trading that against them knowing, in my case, their father as somebody who goes to work grudgingly on Monday mornings mm. and is upset about it and comes home exhausted and all this kind of stuff. Or somebody who models you know, work as something that they're fired up about, that they have the privilege of going to do. And models for them something that like work is not just about money. Work is about you know, what kind of a mark are you going to leave? What yeah. kind of a, you know, What kind of a force are you going to be within the world? And being able to pick something... That really they're they're passionate about. Mm-hmm. I think that's um, you know when I think of what do I want my kids to have when they grow up, it's it's something you know a, a form of livelihood that purpose. yeah purpose that that <laughs> sets them on fire that lets them you know really go out and self actualize in a, in a way that they wouldn't necessarily if they were just trying to as George Bush would say put food on their family. Absolutely. <laughs> put food on their family. (laughs) Ben, I think that is a beautiful place to end. And I think for convo number three, for part three, I would like to put this on the recording. That way you're obligated to oblige, but (laughs) obligated to oblige. Yeah, that's how you know you need to be done. Double (laughs) obligated. Double obligated. I think I would love to talk next time about this idea of reallocation of, of human capital to its highest good and and some of the ways in which you see kind of like the economic entanglement of like this idea of like a universal basic income or, or things of that nature and, and kind of the relationship between uh, financial means and the ability to feel safe enough to go off and pursue those things. So with that, any parting words for our listeners? Love it. Show me where to sign. I'm in for part three. I and love it. thanks for listening. <laughs> Great. All right, y'all. We will see you next time on the Money with Katie podcast. This was part two with Ben Miller. If you did not listen to part one, I will have to honestly go back and put in the show notes what number episode that was. I don't even remember at this point, but it's an excellent listen. Um, 
much like this one was. So thank you so much, Ben, for being here, and we will see you all next time. Thank you.